Welcome to episode 831 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 831 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. Apparently it's a bit cold in a certain part of your body right now. It's a bit cold everywhere and um, we're going high tech today team. Uh, I'm going to take a picture, we'll maybe put it on our Facebook page of Bevan, he's got an ironing board in front of him. Um, we buy these mic stands, they're the most terribly designed things of all time because they basically have this little thread which means you can kind of pivot it around and they only last like three months <laughs> and it does my head in and and they're not cheap. No. Like, and there's just one common fault. And I th- last time I thought, well, I'd buy a better one. But the better one was like 400 bucks for a mic stand. Oh. So I couldn't do it. So I buy this crap one. I'm going to have a bad neck at the end. It's looking at me. I'm crouching. <laughs> I've got the ironing board in front of me, I tell you. So John just took the photo. Uh, so you can check that out in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, not, not happy, John. Not no. happy. Uh, I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Uh, I've just, I was just thinking I'm not happy either about rugby at the weekend. We'll go into that later uh. on. <sighs> uh, form goggles on positive note. Uh, get the most accurate real-time metrics, hundreds of guided workouts, and lap-by-lap motivation. Check them out at formswim.com. We've also got our Patreon partners, and that is Profile Design. They are profile-design.com. Hydration, wheels, storage, aerobars, stems, handlebars, and also the World Triathlon Store. If you go there, you can put the Iron Talk uh, you get I'm Talk gear there. Look for uh, look at you can go to our link on I'mTalk.me to see it as well. Okay, we want to say thank you to our patrons, Peter the Explosion Curry. We got Richard Speedwalker Swan and Alan the Furious Ferret Hodgson. Okay, this week's show we've got some news. We've got hot topic. We've got a coach's corner. We are going to be talking a bit about setting swim zones and using form goggles to make sure you stick to your swim go- zones. And we've actually got an interview coming up with a guy who used to work for Ironman for years, did Ironman, and also a cancer survivor, and who's written a really good book about cancer. And I'll be honest, it's not necessarily the most Ironman discussion, mm-hmm. but some really good stuff in there, so we'll be getting into that later on the show. Uh, questions and answers, winger of the week at the end. Jombo, we had a couple of races happening over the weekend, Victoria. Victoria, what happened there? We, yeah, I watched a little bit of the coverage yesterday. Uh, what happened there was Cameron Worth, unsurprisingly, spanked it on the bike, rode a 4.01.32. Jeez, on a look at that, course. 10 minutes faster than anybody else. Big, big lead. And I just thought, oh, I'd better have a look at this coverage here. And he looked like he really started struggling um, on I think the, the second lap of the run. Maybe it was, a, I'm not sure if it was three or four laps on the run, um, but struggling. He was walking the aid stations, looked like he was going to just completely detonate. But then he managed to sort of pull things around and, and ran, uh, ended up running a 2.57, which is not as quick as he can run, but still a steadyish run, enough to get him second place. Um, it was all sorts of things changing. Like uh, Nick Castellone, who won the race, he, coming off the bike, he was like, Tenth, tenth of tenth at best. Yeah. Uh, ran his way through for a two forty three twenty seven. Um, so he finished with a time uh, forty seven forty six in the swim, four seventeen on the bike, and a two forty three marathon for seven fifty two forty nine. Won by thirty. About 30 seconds or so, 30, 30, 40 seconds over Cameron Worth, and then another, it was only another 30 seconds back to um, Dominic Swager from Germany. And yeah, so three guys under eight hours. And there was a few others in contention there as well. There was a guy, I think he ended up DNFing. Uh, 
who was just about to catch up to Cameron Wirth and then completely detonated oh, really? and was walking and, and pulled out. Um, but Nick Castline, good on him for, for taking the W. It's his second Ironman win. Had a bit of an up-and-down career. A few of you guys will know he, he was or still is, I'm not sure, but he trained a lot with uh, Jan Frodeno. Um, how old is he? 34 years old, um, 180 centimetres tall, according to tryrating.com. Oh, I'm, I'm not quite talking into the mic. Um, but yeah, it sounded like he really struggled in 2020 with um, some injuries. Didn't really do too much in 2021. Finished 21st at Challenge Road. Uh, had a third at one other race at uh, a Challenge Race. Prior to that, he has um, finished third in Barcelona. And he did have a win at an Ironman somewhere. Ironman Switzerland in 2017. So a bit of an up and down career. He was pretty emotional to, to take the win. And as was actually Cam Worth. He was a bit uh, tearing up um, when he'd actually qualified for Kona as well. So oh, those two got their tickets. The other fella, Dominic Schwager, missed out by about 30 seconds. So didn't get the Kona slot because there was only two there. With Worth and Kona, what's the best he could do? Do you think he'd pull off top five? Yeah, well, he's shown at, uh, at other races that... With the right conditions, and he can uh, he can make a big damage on. He's the He's an influencer on the race. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put him down for the win, but um, you know, he when what was it last time he got like about fifth or something oh, like okay. that? Uh, so last time when he raced in Kona, it was what twenty nineteen? Yeah, fifth. I was right. Okay. So there he ran a two fifty five. So you know, if, if, he, if he knocks sort of gets down to a two fifty ish sort of run, um, then he's then he's right in contention for for a top five, but. You would think that those big runners are going to generally run him down, but um, hey. When was the last time a cyclist won it? Oh. Are, we way, are we going back to Stadler? Is it that? Or oh, no, was it um, Ferris? He, yeah, well, you wouldn't really call him no, a, he wasn't an Uber, Uber cyclist. Was it a Keenley? Well, but then at some size you'd say, um, you know, Crowey came off the bike first one year. Yeah, and, but he was a complete athlete. But, uh, there was Ke- a complete performance. Yeah, probably, I'm, I'm talking Keenley. about... Yeah, because Kingley, the first time he won it, he wasn't mm. as, he, he was running developed over his career, didn't it? But mm. he wasn't as stellar in that first period as a runner. And he kind of drifted away and kind of became more of a complete athlete. Still had some amazing performances, but never cracked Kona as a win again. Yeah, um, it's good to see a couple of the pros uh, sticking it out. Patrick Nelson, who he seems to have a lot of DNFs, uh, he was, looked like he was right in contention off the bike, uh, rode a 4.13 and a, a 47-minute swim, 4.52 on the run for a 9.59. Got the sub ten, um, probably not quite the result he was looking for. <laughs> yeah, that uh, and another 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 pro who has done quite well in the past, Philip Kudney, uh, he pulled out a four nineteen run. So kudos for them for finishing the race. Okay, we also had there was a male only race, but we had the female race happening in Ironman Switzerland. Now we talked about two horse race last weekend. Who was the other athlete who obviously didn't race? Uh, Laura Phillip. So did she pull out or did um, she not? No, race? she did. I, well, I, I did a quick look around. Didn't see why she didn't race, but she didn't. So it was a bit of a one-horse. This is event. the official do- dojo domination, 26-minute win. Um, Daniela Reef took it over over Alexandra Tordur from Germany. Um, and it would have been way more than 30 minutes uh, had Daniela oh, yeah, Reef pushed. Around 3.18. Yeah, so when you've got a 25-minute lead, you're thinking, uh, what's the point? So Daniela Reef, great swim, 51.19, uh, 4.43 on the bike, and then 3.18, and you'd be thinking... Because she could run at 2.50. Yeah, and they'd be pushing it, and it looks like the run times here are a bit slow, so I don't know the course. Was oh, that the field? 
Uh, it could be. Um, but yeah, you'd say she could potentially go 20 minutes, easily 20 minutes quicker. That takes you down to about an eight, uh, a high 8.30. So easy victory for her. Nice for her to have a day like that, eh? You know, nice, nice as a pro. You have to turn up, get off the run and go, you know what? I can cruise. And you're just not, it'd be so, the, the amount of, your legs would not be that beaten up after that. It'd still be, it's a good, really good training yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so good on her. And, and a good stead for Kona now, because other than Collins Cup, does she do 70 put three World Champs? It's after this year. It's anyway, after isn't it? this so, year. So, you know, really she's, now can just kind of do the Collins Cup, which isn't as demanding on the body, focus on Kona. Yeah, should be should be a great women's race in Kona this year with Reef versus um, Hag and Lucy, Laura will Lucy, will Lucy be ready by then? Not, not thinking so. Uh, no, I think she, uh, I, at the start of the year I was thinking, oh, yep, this, this could be good, could be good for her. She'll be back, but yeah. she's not, I think she's not even. She's only just back swimming. Oh, really? So, okay. Uh, I don't know. She's she'll be out for the entire year because she's losing that sure. peak training as well, isn't she? Right now, yeah. Uh, another few other middle distance races happened. There was indeed. Uh, so just a couple. Uh, 70.3 Oregon. Uh, Danielle Lewis took that out and Justin Metzler on the boys' side. There was also a clash race in Watkins Glen. Um, Watkins. Andrew Starkowitz took that out in front of Jason West. Um, it's good on him. And Sophie Watts took out the females in front of Hayley Chura. Gee, she won by nine minutes at a uh, half-distance race. And that was pretty much it um i did have a quick look at that clash race it was they were running at a speedway but they weren't actually biking around the speedway um I wonder why. they hardly had any competitors so oh. the american market's very hard it seems very hard to crack for for challenge and for the for this clash sort of setup so hopefully they do take off who's funding it uh, i've got no idea because you can't you, unfortunately you can't last long if you're not making money mm you know, and I'm not saying they're not making money. They might have big sponsorship behind them, um, but if you're only in six to one men mm. in the age group race, it's not it's not a good sign. Okay, uh, there's only a few more races heading for athletes to actually qualify in for Kona. We've got three races left. What are they, John? We've got Lake Placid. Yep, Ireland. Oh, yep. So we've got uh, Ireland and Kalmar for the males and uh, well, females go to Ireland, males go to Kalmar, and then I'm I'm in Montremblant. So there's there's more races for age groupers, plenty of non-pro races, but that's it. So there's only six slots on either side to go, and then we've got a full allocation for Kona, fifty fifty this year, um, which is great. Who do we know who's not? Okay, so Brownlee. There's a, there's a, I think everyone's qualified, really, except, for, except for the people that are injured. Um, so Lucy Charles, Brownlee, I don't think there's any big hitters. Do you think Brownlee still wants to go, or is he oh, too injured there? I haven't asked him. Well, give him a call. <laughs> call him now, mate. Of course well, no, because we got an email from someone today. I just haven't put it in our show notes, but someone emailed me this morning saying, here it is. It is coming from good old Luke Gil- Gil- uh, Gilmer. Um, he's got here, just topic for a chat. Do you think Alistair should get a wild card for Kona if he is not qualified? His opinion is yes. Yeah. He's a star and someone who adds another exciting element to the race. Also, Gomez should be extended one as well. Yeah, I'm not sure what's up with Gomez, um, but yeah, I would agree with that. I'd be happy for them both to get wild cards, I think. Yeah, they do add an element to the race, and it's not like they've Gomez? chosen to... What's Gomez done recently? Uh, he's, he hasn't done anything this year. Um, he still goes it pretty good. He's only done kind of once and he didn't enjoy that very much. And he, then he went back and did uh, sort of Olympics stuff for, for you know, prior to Tokyo. So I'd love to see those two racing. I know it's not really fair, fair, but they've been injured. It's not like they've. It's gone a hard off, one, to be honest, because if it was Brownlee after the Olympics and he hadn't done much Ironman, I'm like, all in. 
But mm. now he is an Ironman athlete. Mm. Why should he get an advantage? Because he's injured. Yeah, I know, but... Yeah. You know, lots of injured athletes out there. Yeah. Uh, he brings an element I, to the I, race. I, I do agree. I actually want him there. Don't get me wrong. But I'm being devil's advocate. Mm. I can see the argument against it. Mm. You know, I get it when you're coming off the Olympics like Blumenfeld and you're going, you know what? We want this guy here. He's a he's, he's big name right now. Mm. Get it. It'll be interesting to see where he goes in Kona. Brownlee, he's now a full-time Ironman athlete. He hasn't qualified. Sure, he's injured. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes and does Kalmar. Um, and if he can do that easily, that would be reasonably good preparation for someone who hasn't got a huge amount of Ironman experience to go and do that 20th of August. What's that? Probably seven weeks out or so. If you could do that cruising, that would be a good training day. What do you reckon the field's going to be like? Like there's no one going to be a no, it won't be a very strong field at all because you're going to have uh, Collins Cup and all those sorts of things happening at that time. So, you know, he should waltz in relatively easily, but pretty fragile these days. Yeah, he is, isn't he? Um, okay, coming up this weekend is bugger all. Yeah, bugger all indeed. <laughs> bugger all's coming. Bugger all. Uh, there's no sort of short course racing, I don't think. Um, there's the... what. I don't even know if this will be happening. The bloody Russians, Wild Siberia Extreme, uh, and the Keiki Triathlon in Japan. That's okay. about it. Well, we've got coming up soonish. It's the Collins Cup. We have, and then we've got the we've got the when's the Canadian one? Is that in August? That is or the is weekend that? after next. Because that's the weekend after next, and then the Collins. Oh, cheapest creepers. The Collins Cup race. The big race of the year happens on the twenty to twenty first of August. It's in Slovakia. Um, and the cutoff time hasn't a cutoff date for the selections. Uh, I'm not quite sure when that is, but I think it's maybe a couple of weeks out. Um, but so far, when you look at the teams, <laughs> on the women's side, you've got who are automatic qualifiers. You've got Daniela Reith and How Glora Phillip and Cat Matthews for Team Europe. Yep. Realistically, if you put it, if you're a betting person, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, you can't see really. The only person I think could probably beat some of those top four there maybe Taylor Nib. Maybe Sky Monch on a on a really good day. But look I mean, at the points. So you got Reese got 120, Hag's got 113, Phillips got 117, yeah. Kate Matthews got 111. So they're better than any other team. Every other team, the best is Taylor Nibs 106, Sky Monch is 105, the yeah. rest are under 100, and and the international team, you've got one person above 100. So dominating. Yeah, they wouldn't wouldn't get in. So it's looking like on the female side, a uh, bit of a one horse race. But uh, in the Americans, the current automatic selections: Taylor Nibs, Sky Monch, Jackie Herring, and Chelsea Sodaro. And then in the internationals, you got Jenny Metzler, Paula Finlay, Ashley Gentle, and Tamara Jewett. So yeah, looking pretty strong. That's your automatic picks, and you've got two others. Um, that's where maybe Team Internationals and Team US might have. You might be able to pull a couple of uh, athletes in, like oh, you'd hope for the internationals. I'd try to get maybe a Flora Duffy or somebody like that. Might give them a chance. On the men's side, it's a little bit not more quite as cut and dry yeah. on the men's yeah, side. Yeah, not there. Uh, it's because he hasn't done any Yeah, racing. I know, but it's interesting, isn't it? Mm. You know, like, you know, like he's the rock star of the game. But you'd, he'd be your automatic pick if he's fit for um, for your, your two picks. So, yeah. so auto, automatic qualifiers for Team Europe is Blumenfeld, Langer, Ditlev and Eden. And then on the Americans, you've got Hansen, Long, Von Berg and Leiferman. And then uh, Team Internationals, you got Lionel Sanders, Braden Curry, Jackson Laundry, Max Newman. And when you look at those rankings, pretty similar to the other ones. Um, well, you've got Gustav yeah. Eden, who's been beaten by Sanders, yeah. and Braden Curry's pretty much even, but Gustav And that's Eden. because Gustav, <laughs> Gustav Eden hasn't Raced really, a lot. He's done two races so far this year. One, 
one or two. Uh, you'd say potentially the Europeans with Patrick Langer and Magnus Ditlev. Um, both of them maybe slightly susceptible, especially Langer over the sort of the half Ironman distance, yep. which this is. Ditlev maybe not so much, but they'd be susceptible. You wouldn't want to bet against Blumenfeld and Eden, but if you had, say, Lionel Sanders up against Patrick Langer over a 70.3 or sort of half distance that they do, I'd probably put my money on Sanders. Um, and Sam Long, equally, if you had him against um, one of those guys over that distance, you'd maybe put some money on them. So means maybe not quite as cut and dry. On the race day... It's both teams together, isn't it? It isn't men's versus men, females. It's it's the combination of all points. Yes, and then it's a, you have the time bonus as well. So if you win by a yeah. lot, you get more points. Um, it's just that you'd pick the international team to probably get runner-up and the US team to get third in the men's race, whereas in the female race, you've gone to the opposite. You're going to say probably European, US, international. Mm. You know, It's interesting, they, the champion, runner-up, Broken spokes. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting because you know we, last time they had it, it was in the middle of the pandemic and there wasn't much else happening, so we got a lot of attention and we were pretty hyped for it. Um, the coverage, yeah, we know it could have could have been better. So they're gonna have to step it up this year um, to keep this thing alive. And I think my opinion is they need to get a bit innovative and not just have these one-off races. Um, have do some different things, you know, relays and stuff like that to, to sort of keep it pretty engaging. But um, looking forward to it nonetheless. John short course update. Kiwi, give him a taste of kiwi. Yeah, it was a pretty crap weekend on oh, the really? old rugby front. Oh, rugby thankfully, front. our triathletes we'll uh, about rugby later. came it came to fruition. Hayden Wild kind of expected to win this. You would have been surprised if he didn't. It was uh, in Hamburg. It was a sprint distance race, part of the World Triathlon Series. A few athletes um, were were missing from this one, most notably Alex Yee. But at the moment, you know, it's Hayden Wild and Alex Yee and everyone else is kind of a so cool, distance, distance third. It's cool for us Kiwis because basically in short course, once Hamish and Bevan went, in the men's racing, we just haven't had anyone in a long time. Um, uh, and in Ironman, we've had you know some good athletes come through. But hmm. it's nice to have a Kiwi kid who's dominant. You know, yeah. like he's, him and, as you say, him and Yee are... Mm. The stars. So Hayden Wild took it out on the on the run. Uh, Matt Hauser had a great run, Australian, um, and then uh, guy Jawad Abdemoala um, from Morocco. I think Morocco, or Marrakesh. Marrakesh is it? Um, but I'm pretty sure he ra- he's races for for Poissy, which is one of the really big teams in France. And so I'm not sure if whether he's based in France or not. But um, good on him. Uh, on Vincent f- Louis. <clears throat> Vincent Louis is not the same athlete that he was um, a couple of years ago. So he finished in 11th place, uh, was there off the bike. They all were. They all came off the bike together. So, yeah, he's, he's sort of had that little heart scare early in the season and, yeah, getting a little bit older as well. Did you enjoy the race? Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I did. The format again, you know, second time you're seeing it. Is it still very much just waiting for the last race? Oh, no, this was just a sprint distance. Oh, it was, it was a sprint distance. A, so okay. 750 swim, 20k bike, uh, 5k run. And then on the female side of it, there was a bit of, bit of drama there. Flora Duffy got a got a penalty. Oh, and geez. so she, with a penalty, you have to serve uh, 10 seconds in a, in a box. And when you're doing sprint distance, 10 seconds yeah. isn't much. Well, she only won by eight seconds. Well, she... she, she Took the penalty. You can choose when you take it. So you, you know, in this race, you're doing it's a two lap run. So you either take it halfway on the run, or you take it at the end of the run. And uh, oh, she, so, you, so you can actually just break away and hope you've got enough at the end. Yeah, that's a funny way of doing it. So you can choose when you have it. And and so in this instance, Flora Duffy 
went in and took it at halfway and she was leading at that stage by maybe five seconds and so she popped out and then she popped out sort of in second equal and ran herself back up into the lead and put a surge in and, and just got the job done and that was no mean feat, Beth Potter's a good, good runner. A similar thing happened early in the season at another sprint distance race with Cassandra Bolgran, she also got a penalty, she waited for hers until the very end, like 100 metres before the finish and she had such a big lead that it was okay. So you actually, you don't actually go across the finish line, you stop 100 metres before, yep. do 10 seconds and run to the finish line. Yeah. That's out of yeah. it. And is that bizarre? It, it is. And these some of these races have been quite close and you're just sort of going, how big a gap is that? Is that 10? Is it 8? It's 5? Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it adds a bit to the racing. And the reason these You get athletes, a bit of a rest as well, but like you put yourself on the starter's block. Oh yeah, you do. You yeah, know? yeah. And the reason a lot of these athletes are getting infringements is at the short course races, you have a little box in your transition area and everything has to be in your box. And when you're doing a super fast uh, yeah. transition, Flora Duffy's instance, just the goggles bounced out or they didn't quite go in. And um, yeah, so it was good racing though. Flora Duffy first, Beth Potter second and Lisa Turch was in third place. There was a mixed relay as well on the Sunday and... I'm just trying to think. Oh, I think Great Britain won it. They had like probably their their D team, and they still bloody won it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, that's it for short short course racing for a while. So I was saying earlier in the show, no Ironman racing sort of coming up. Um, that short course racing is done and dusted. When for, does the season finish? Uh, not till November. So it's, they have a they have a break for a while, do they? Yeah. So we've got Commonwealth Games in a couple of weeks time which is going to be awesome and then uh, Super League in September and then the final races in October and November good times rock and roll okay let's go to this week's discussion um, this week's discussion my god you put out some, try to be positive and just negative Nancy's for Africa coming out on this one for Africa even okay oh. we've got 83 comments yeah most of them are negative okay well, let's, 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 let's go through them first of all let me hold on what is it first what does oh. triathlon do better than other mass participation sports I'll start at the bottom you go at the top okay. I'm not reading out negative ones Lynette Lintani is the Itani has got they get participants to tattoo a company's name on themselves and then a few people have gone and said example Yep, someone got an M dot. Uh, I thought there was okay. Yep, great. Um, I'm trying to find a positive one. You guys are all pretty negative amongst uh, Matt uh, Martin Cook camaraderie amongst participants. That's, that's it. it. Yep. Wow. I'm trying to find some positive okay, ones. Okay, Karen. Here. I'm going to say. Oh, her name is Sahai. Is much more attention is given to the individual participants, check-in, during race, and at the finish line, after race area, and every prize ceremony. No other race, marathon or half marathon, makes you feel like a rock star, like particularly like as well as Ironman races do. Mark Funkster Brooks uh, allows you to always be improving to some degree. You can focus on one discipline and improve uh, that, or even you're injured, you still be exercising and training. Carl Haynes has got getting people away for a long weekend on mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Egoltz, uh, there is a really good chance that your finish line experience is the best during an Ironman, especially if Mike Riley is on the mic. It's a lot more personal. I'll be like you. I won't do the negative ones because there are some people who are a bit like, whatever. Um, Paul Orion's got celebrating a mass participation, like having the Ironman winners at the finish line to welcome in the 1659 athletes to who also get it done. Uh uh, Jane Hampson, um, she's with PTO, she's equality, which is so true. I think we take it for granted in triathlon that there's equality and prize money and everything we do. And that's not the same in other sports. Yep. 
Totally. And tell you what, Aaron Bacon can take a lot of credit for that, can't yeah. you? Yeah. You know? Spot Anderson make random people think they've won the th- whole thing when they actually finished 27th overall. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do, do, do. There's quite a few negatives. Uh, here we go. Ben Pasala, inclusivity. Whoever you are, you're all equal within reason. And this... Uh, and with three sports and transitions and nutrition, there is always an area for improvement without having to go to too detailed, technical, too quickly. Uh, if you plateau on one leg, you can simply focus on another and still see overall gains. Richard Swanee knows has got here. He's got give you the perception that you're racing at the same time as the world elite athletes, which I wonder if nowadays you still feel the same. You know, because back in the day when you had mass start, mm. you were exactly the same as the pros. Or they might have been five minutes earlier, but you felt you were exactly the same. But now that they've got these different starting mechanisms, does it, does it take it away from that a bit? Uh, or do you still feel... It does a little bit, but you're still doing exactly the same course. Yeah. So I don't, only no, marginally. I don't know. Maybe, okay. uh, Crystal Juliet, uh, initially inclusion and a sense of community. Oh, now robbery. So sorry, that was a negative one. <laughs> um... I've got a good one here. Des Harris, a rubbish collector on a minimum wage. You're just as important as the lawyer once you've registered to enter an event and you turn up on the start line. I do yep. like that. Good. Um, That's about it. Matt Percival's <laughs> got totally wrecked your body. Yeah. What do you reckon, Come on, John? people. Focus on the positive. Focus Always on the positive. Look on the bright uh, side I think most people have said the, the fairly obvious ones. I think that finish line experience compared to, say, a marathon, um, a mass participation marathon. And there's 50,000 people versus 2,000, 3,000 people. But that finish line experience, um, I think, is is what's awesome. Don't know how other other sports might do that. Um, I do agree that, you know, you're on the start line and you're doing the same course. I think the other one, and this is where I think I mean could brush up, and I'm not try, I'm trying not to be negative here. Oh, um, mate, but, don't, don't you start talking. <laughs> but ac- ac- accessibility to the pros, and you can, you know, when you're at an event, they're pretty accessible. They're in the transition area yeah. at the same time. Um, I know they've got their own separate area, but you can go to an expo and the pros are there. And one of the things I think with with triathlon is, um, I can kind of because the cultures where you know the the people that are doing well are usually the same culture as us. You can kind of I can relate to them a bit more. Yep. Whereas in marathons and things like that, I find it harder to relate to an African runner. You can't really appreciate what they've gone through to get to that point. Yep. Um, so I think those are the main things. But I think you know. This triathlon does things really good. I didn't actually use the word Ironman in there. I think everyone was putting the boot into Ironman. Um, but you know, I think triathlon does a lot of things. And the equality is awesome as well. I actually think one that we haven't really identified enough is the sense of identity. Hmm. You know, like a lot of people, when you're a marathon runner, you kind of feel, you know, there's something that comes of that. But I think when you're an Ironman, hmm. there is something that, there's something about being an Ironman that is quite unique. Mm. You know, and you can do other big races. So, like, I imagine if you do Comrades and I imagine if you do some of the big cycle races and that, you know, it's a big achievement. But I, I think, I don't know, I think when it comes to stamping an identity on yourself, that's actually quite powerful in the sense of belonging to a bigger community. Mm. We do that very, very well. And, and, like, you know, like, I was speaking to, remember Ted? Mm-hmm. The cop Ted, who's a, yep. a, and he's done 13 Ironman and he's never been to Kona. I actually bumped him to the mall the other day and... Great guy, and he had actually qualified twice, but he never went. Hmm. And he hasn't been racing the last few years, and he said to me, think about getting into it. And I said, mate, you need to do legacy, hmm. you know, because you're an Ironman. You, you know, if anyone needs to do Kona, it's you. And he's like, is it worth going? I'm like, mate, hmm. it's the most amazing experience an Ironman can have. And I know when I went to Kona as an athlete, and you do get the sense of, 
you know, I'm a pretty unique person out there in the world and, 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 and for really positive reasons that I'm someone who likes challenge, I'm someone who's trying to grow, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's a really powerful stuff. And I think as a sport, arguably we probably do that better. And I think that community side of it, I think you're right, and it might be different in different parts of the world, but for us in, in New Zealand, I would say you've got your little pockets of athletes that yeah. go training together. If I think of people that I don't know that do marathons, they mostly do it by themselves, and mm. that might be really different in different parts of the world, but you kind of you do have those that, that community feel a lot and more. And just identity, you know, mm. like you can give people a hard time for the tattoo. I don't, you know what, it's your life, you do what you want, but... You know, it, it means that's what it means. Like, you don't get many people getting marathon tattoos. Mm. Like, you actually, we had one of our runners do it once, actually. But really? um, what, they, what do you mean they got a marathon tattoo? Well, because like he, he started for a 5K group and he yeah. was an overweight 50 yeah. year old guy. But what logo did he get? He done? did the Queenstown Marathon, he got the logo. The actual Queenstown Marathon yeah. logo? Yeah, on his calf. Oh, wow. Yeah, but you know what? He, he was a guy who never exercised his whole life. Yeah, yeah. Never done anything. Started with our 5K group, mm. ended up doing a marathon like 18 months later. Mm. You know, it was a big thing for him. So, mm. uh, Maybe, like, good on him. Um, and, and, you know, but the M. Tattoo, I get it. You know, mm. it's not something I do myself because I'm not really a tattoo kind of person, but mm. it, there is something about being, uh, there is a stamp that I think, I don't know many other endurance events do that. Mm. You know, and I think, if anything, it's a really cool thing that we do in our sport. Okay, this week's discussion will you watch the PTO Canadian Open and what will they need to, to deliver? to keep you engaged it's coming up the weekend after next so I'm just keen to know I'm pretty excited about it I think it should be really really cool and I'm just keen to know if other people are going to watch it and what you want to see okay John's quiz question it's a good one it's a tough one it is this uh, is tough so I, when I was watching the Ironman Victoria race just a little highlights of it um, they had Greg Welsh on there and McKaylee Jones and for those that don't know McKaylee Jones she was probably the athlete of her generation. Yeah, she's uh, probably not held as high as, as she should be in people's mind. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. She won, I'm going to say she won at least two world titles. I remember one in Manchester. She had a sprint finish with Karen Smyers and another one she won in Australia. No, she might have won three because I'm pretty sure she won in Canada as well. So anyway, no but she won several short course world titles, and that was back when it was the world champs every year. It was a one-off race, uh, and she also won Hawaii. Um, and she got shafted at the Olympics, didn't she? And she got shafted at the Olympics because she got beaten by a drug cheat. So it wasn't done at the Olympics, but it was done later. Yeah, yeah. So I was wondering. I was listening to her commentate the other day, and I was thinking, how many Ironmans did Michaeli Jones do? It wasn't that many. I don't know the answer, but it wasn't that many. But she won. She did a few corners, but didn't she? Well, I'll, I'll pass my judgment later. So that's the question. How many Ironmans did Michaeli Jones do? I remember meeting her at Kona, and she's a really lovely lady. I didn't really know who she was. You know, mm. I've, when I first came to sport, I didn't have your knowledge of the history. So I was kind of, didn't really have respect for people. Not that I disrespected her, but, mm. you know, I was kind of next to a legend, having a chat this legend. And mm. I don't know, you know, and you, you know, it's funny when you go into new worlds, isn't it? Okay, so this week's discussion is what? Oh, they, no, we've done that. Okay, the quiz question. Okay, how many Iron Man did Michaela Cones do? Okay, Coaches Corner. Corner. Brought to you by Form Goggles. You can check it out, form, oh, www.formswim.com. If you use the promo code IM15, you get $15 off. So, Setting your swim paces, and I've got some practical examples here, uh, setting swim paces or swim zones, and how you can kind of use form goggles to, to help you stick with those zones. Um, makes life a lot easier when you've got some live data in front of you. So a lot of you guys will have power meters, a lot of you will have GPS watches. You Hopefully, you will have done the similar thing with your 
cycling and running where you know your zones so you've figured out your FTP and you've sorted out your different uh, different zones um, there's lots of different terminology out there um, for all the three sports and but generally what's going to happen is you're going to divide your zones into five, five or seven gears so one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven or I use different terminology um, you're going to find you go into training peaks and then you can use their terminology and estimations but in general you're going to have five to seven zones most triathletes probably aren't going to use zone seven you know that's really your, your sprinting sort of zone um, <clears throat> And why is it important to have your zones to stop you from hitting sort of plateaus in each of the sports? Um, <clears throat> ensure you are not constantly sitting in the grey zone. So the grey zone that I'm talking about is probably sort of around about your half Ironman effort. A lot of people do a huge amount of training in that kind of zone and it's not easy enough to, to sort of be general endurance training and it's not hard enough to really get some big gains and it can leave you pretty smoked so it's just a sort of grey zone there's definite times when you want to be doing work there but a lot of athletes just spend time in that sort of moderate zone um, and with swimming uh, when you've got your zones it's going to make your workouts a hell of a lot more interesting as well so um, I'll go through this reasonably quickly uh, to set your zones you've got to have a couple of cracks or the way I do it at a 400 meter time trial so if you've never done one before you've got to go and do one and then probably repeat it uh, you know maybe a week later and potentially a week later as well to figure out what your 400 all-in maximum effort is and then you want to work out um, your average pace so your 100 meter pace and to set your zones I'm going to give you an example of uh, zones 1 through 7 so I use the term zone 1 which is easy and that's about 17 to 25 seconds slower than your 100 meter pace for, for, for a 400 meter time trial the steady zone is about 9 to 17 seconds slower than your 400 pace moderately hard is sort of 5 to 9 seconds slower than that pace and that's sort of around about your half Ironman maybe up to Olympic distance effort hard is one to three five seconds below your 400 pace very hard is pretty much bang on your 400 pace plus or minus a, a second or two fast is uh, zone six and that's five uh, one to five seconds quicker than your 400 TT and then you've kind of got your very fast or sprinting which is uh, sort of five to eight seconds quicker than your 400 pace there's lots of other methods you can use, so some people use um, one that's called CSS, um, there's other calculators you can use in training peaks, but again, main thing is you've got you know five to seven zones that you can use. Um, once you've done setting up those zones, you can uh, use your form goggles and you can go and pace yourself to a 2K, 2K effort um, at your Ironman pace, which is around about 10 to 15 seconds slower than your 400 TT, and sort of see how that feels. Um, and you've got to remember, when you're doing an Ironman swim, I think a lot of people often swim too hard, the effort should be about the same as what it is when you're doing your Ironman bike rides. So always have that in the back of your mind. Um, then go and do a 1K TT um, at your half Ironman effort, and that should come out at around about 6 to 9 seconds slower than your 400. And what you can do using the form goggles, you can really pace yourself well. What I see with a lot of athletes, if I tell them to go and do, say, 1K at half Ironman effort, they're going to go out uh, significantly quicker and then progressively slow down. When you've got the form goggles, you're going to go, right, I'm going to go out, I'm going to do 1 minute 45 per yeah. 100, and boom, you can just bang it out um, 100 after 100 and do it with real good precision. So a couple of examples. If your 400 comes out at a 6 minutes 30, 
that works out at 1 minute 38 per 100. Your easy zone is going to be about 155 per 100. Um, your steady zone is going to be 147 to 155. Your moderately hard, uh, so steady zone is around Ironman effort. Moderately hard is going to be about 143 to 147. Um, hard, 139 to 143. Very hard, 136 to 139. Fast, 133 to 136. And very fast, 130 to 133. Um, if you're a little bit quicker than that, and you say around about a six minute pace for a 400, and this can be yards or meters, you know, it doesn't really matter, um, then that's one minute 30 per 100. Um, your easy is about 147 or slower. Steady, 139 to 147. Moderately hard, 135 to 139. Hard, 131 to 135. Very hard, 128 to 131. Fast, 125 to 128. And very fast, 122 to 125. So hopefully that covers a couple of spectrums of athletes out there. I kind of keep it for myself a little bit simpler because I kind of know my zones pretty well. And just you just need to remember that sort of gear five, which is I call very hard, is around about your 400 metre um, time trial pace. And then I kind of just drop five seconds per zone. So I know when I go to the pool, for me, steady is about 130 plus or minus a few seconds, moderately hard, 125 plus or minus a bit. Hard is about 120 and very hard is anything under 120. So um, if you get form goggles, some general tips. Um, don't look at the, the goggle, the, the, the sort of the screen every single length because it, they will, it will vary a bit depending on if it's your first length. When you push off, you, it'll be a little bit less. Um, so I check my splits every 100 um, rather than every length and you do get a split every turn. Uh, the first 50 to 100 metres you do in any of these tests the goggles can be really, really helpful to, to pace you. You are generally going to be quicker whenever you're doing a, um, an effort. So for example, when I did a 400 sort of hard effort the other day, I was probably about two seconds quicker in the first 100 than I was across the other three. Okay. But the goggles are so good at oh. pacing you for the second half and keeping you on track as well. Well, and that's, that's, that's why it's such a game changer to me because it's like someone like you who's been a seasoned swimmer forever, you're quite good at understanding your different paces mm. and you're quite good at looking at the clock. Mm. When, I was doing, when I was doing Ironman training, I was, just ho I was hoping the person in front of me knew. I was trying to swim the squats as much as possible because I really mm. found it hard to motivate myself. If I ever swam by myself, it was mm. always a piss poor effort. Mm. And so by having the goggles, I'd be way more motivated by myself because I know that if I'm in the treadmill or if I'm on a bike at the gym, which I try not to do because I like to be outdoors training, um, having numbers and giving targets works way better for me. Mm. But also just that understanding of that constant pace is a really important thing. To, if you're actually trying to hit the objectives of your training. Yeah, so I know, I absolutely know most people don't do this with their swimming if, you, if you're uncoached because normally when I get new athletes coming on board, they've got absolutely no idea. They go to the pool and yeah, they'll, they'll do a set and they might go, yep, I'm going to do yeah. 2100s and I'm going to do five moderate, five hard, five blah, blah, blah. But they won't take their times or anything. And if you do go down there with a stopwatch, you'll generally find there's not that much variation. So if you've got the form goggles on, you can basically see what you're doing. So I really encourage you to give this a go. It's really important when you do the 400, it has got to be an all-in max effort. So if you've had a power meter, you'll know what I'm talking about, like going and doing a proper FTP test when you do 20 minutes. To get a proper result, it has got to be balls to the wall, pretty much vomiting just about at the finish and the 400 is, is pretty similar. So you may just need to tweak things but the bottom line is you want to have that variability in your swimming. You don't want to do 
everything's sort of in that moderate zone. You want to have quite a bit of easier stuff and you want to make sure you're hitting some of those higher numbers as well. So um, with form, they use the terminology easy, moderate, strong, fast and max. So it's only a five sort of um, tiered system. And where that comes into play is using their, they've got loads and loads of workouts in there um, which you can access and then you can go to the pool and then the goggle is going to tell you what to do as you're going through. So it'll say, right, you're doing three 200s moderate, you're doing 450s fast. It just talks you through the workouts. So check them out at formswim.com and use the promo code IM15 for 15 bucks off and get the pool and swim a bit faster. Okay, John, I think we'll put the interview in now. So we've got an interview coming up with a guy by the name of Bill C. Potts. He was actually basically one of the big big guys in uh, Ironman for years and years and has worked through cancer for a very long time. And he's got a book coming out called Up for the Fight, How to Advocate for Yourself as You Battle Cancer from a Five-Time Survivor. So here is Bill right now. Right, team. So, welcome to the show, Bill C. Potts. He's written the book "Up for the Fight: How to Advocate for Yourself as You Battle Cancer and from a Five-Time Survivor." Welcome along to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Bevan. It's great what you're doing, and I can't wait to read your book. Oh, thank you very much. So, um, where, does, where do we begin with you? Maybe give us your, your base history. Yeah, base history. Uh, you know, uh, relative to Iron Man. I started with uh, Ironman in 2003. I'd been the VP of marketing of a sunglass company and had done a license with Ironman, Ironman sunglasses in, uh, in the late 1990s and uh, did a startup software company and uh, stayed in touch with the owner of Ironman and wound up uh, working for Ironman in 2003 when there were really only a handful of employees and when uh, there weren't that many races and the races that World Triathlon Corporation owned weren't many. It was, uh, you know, Hawaii. Uh, so uh, the rest of the races were were licensed, and so it was really fun to be a part of that uh, run up from the Ironman side. I left in I left in 2015 to move into the nonprofit world. I worked for Clearwater Marine Aquarium, home of Winter the Dolphin from the Dolphin Tail movies. But in the midst of this, there's a cancer story weaved in, going all the way back to uh, 2002, right before I uh, right before I started at Ironman. Well, could I ask what were you doing in Ironman? What was your role? Yeah, so I started off as the VP of marketing and I ended up when I left in 2015, I was the VP of global licensing. So, you know, Ironman being such a powerful brand, whether yeah. it be sunglasses or Timex Ironman watches or Ironman shoes. At one point we had, uh, you know, Power Bar, Ironman, uh, you know, uh, drinks, all those all those deals. Uh, that was my responsibility to work on the licensing side of it. What was it like, you know, because at that stage, you know, I actually think I did Hawaii 2004, I think it was, um, mm. you know, the sport had, did go into this, it was kind of like a, well, it was never, it was, I suppose it's a niche sport, but it was, there was a, there was a place for it. And the time you've been there, you saw massive expansion. What was it like being in the business at that stage and watching the growth of it? Yeah, it was a little bit like drinking from a fire hose from a work really? perspective, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, there were times when, when there weren't many of us. And as we started to grow, that we'd be traveling all over the place, spending weekends, you know, in different parts of the world for these races. But uh, it was really, uh, it's just awesome. I mean, think about it. You get to go to all these beautiful places around the world. And, and, and yes, you're working all the time, but you're also watching races. But what I always found with Ironman that I never, ever, ever, ever got tired of was 10 to midnight you know, nine to midnight, yeah. you know, watching these people just coming across and, and fulfilling their dreams. It, 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 was, it, it wasn't the pros 
that, that, that may be inspired as much as it was the age groupers that are just, you know, sacrificing so much and overcoming so much to be able to finish the finish line, get across the finish line. I, I looked at it as, you know, Ironman at that time was in the dream fulfillment business because mm-hmm. you cross an Ironman finish line, you know, you know, it, it changes your life. Yeah. And, you know, for these folks that have overcome uh, a life's challenges, in which we saw so many, right, we get, we get to pick who would be in the NBC TV show. Uh, uh, you know, it was just remarkable to be able to watch that. But that was whether these folks were featured in Kona on TV or not, every race had these special, special people that were trying to trying to get to the finish line, you know, before midnight. So, so you've hit cancer five times. So tell us about that. Cause it's, you know, like, you know, once it's horrible, but you know, five times cheapest creepers. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's been pretty challenging. So 2002 was uh, diagnosed with thyroid cancer treated with uh, a radiation treatment, the same radiation that was released by Chernobyl. So interestingly, you get a pill of that to help cure, or get rid of the thyroid cancer. In addition to having my thyroid taken out, I thought I was done. And then in 2008, now, now I'm a number of years into Ironman, uh, I was diagnosed with stage three lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. And so I thought I was, I knew at that point I was not done because my particular type of lymphoma is not curable. So it's going to keep coming back. And so it did in uh, 2014, 2019, uh, 2020. And in 2020, on top of the uh, lymphoma coming back, I also had prostate cancer. So uh, survived five times, uh, six already in progress, but we're going to wait and see uh, on the prostate and then, you know, kind of trying to uh, get get ready for uh, when, when the lymphoma comes back again and, and potentially as, as soon as a few years. And what was your purpose of writing the book? You know, like, obviously, you've got an amazing story to tell, but um, what, what, you know, when you sat down, you thought, I want to write a book about my experience, because it seems like it is also you're trying to guide people as they work through a journey of cancer. So maybe just tell me what was the purpose and who you're trying to help and how you're trying to help them. Yeah, it, it, it happened on September 17th, uh, 2020, when I had a tumor removed, uh, which was cancerous from uh, from below my hip. And I was in the recovery room. This is during the COVID pandemic. And so I couldn't have anybody in there in the hospital. And I, I woke up from surgery and I was basically having an emotional meltdown, you know, crying, like really crying. Yeah, I can imagine. And the nurse and the nurse is like, what's up? And and I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm up for the fight. That's the, the title of the book. And yeah. and, uh, you know, I'm not sure I want to go through this again. And, you know, I've had a great life and do I really want to put myself through what's about to happen. And so we worked through that. We talked through that for about an hour and the pastor came in and and I got my head okay. And at the end of this conversation, she said, Bill, you ought to, the pastor said, Bill, you, you ought to write a book and turn your pain into purpose. And so I said, okay. And so I committed to do it. And in particular, this book is what to expect when you're expecting, mm. uh, but for cancer, yeah. there is no book like this out there that kind of takes you through the guide. Look, I wish somebody else had written it. Uh, yeah. It's not fun to mm-hmm. kind of rewrite, you know, what you've been going through. I actually wrote this book while I was going through chemotherapy. So it's, uh, it's, it's meant to help people going through the cancer journey, yeah. uh, to take them from the very beginning all the way through ringing the bell. And it's, it's, it is truly will make a difference because you can only learn what I have in this book by spending 20 years going through it. So yeah. uh, I accidentally became an expert and really feel called to share that with others. And so my purpose now is to make sure we get it in the hands of as many cancer patients and their families as possible 
so that it can positively impact their journey, which it will. I've test driven this book. It doesn't ship uh, until September, but I've test driven it with some folks that I know that are cancer patients. And, and I know, I know firsthand, you know, it's making a difference in their journey. So what are, what are some of the lessons that, that you need to learn as you go, you know, because it's, jeepers creepers, it, it's, we, unfortunately, we lost our, our father-in-law, my father-in-law earlier this year to cancer. And, and it was a, sorry, it was, yeah, and it was, it was horrific, really. It was really sad. And, and he was, it was, it was only in his mid seventies, but he was mm. a really healthy mid seventies. You know, he was the kind of guy you thought he would get to a hundred and six months later, he'd passed away. And, um, you know, there's so many aspects to it, isn't there? You know, it's not just, Hey, I've got mm. this treatment that I need to go through. There's the emotional journey. There's the family, there's the dealing with the doctors. So, so what are some of the lessons that, that people need to consider when they're going through this journey? Like if you, you know, let's say you do find out you've got cancer, what are some of the things that people maybe don't see at first that they need to actually start to think about? Yeah, it's a great question. And if, if there's only one lesson that people take from the book, it is to own your own cancer journey. It's yours and you have to own it. Uh, you have to study. You have to stay on top of things. You know, you have to get second opinions and you can't lean on the medical community to manage it for you. You have to manage it yourself. And, I, and I'm treated, I've been treated at a couple of the best uh, cancer uh, clinics in the world. And they agree with that. I mean, the volume of patients coming through is so high that you have to be on top of it. As an example, for my first lymphoma, stage three lymphoma, I turned down the chemo treatment that they that they provide that they prescribed to me. And they're like, Bill, what, what do you mean you're turning it down? I'm like, guys, I, I need my hair. I work for Ironman. You know, I'm in sales. I'm traveling all over the place. I, I can't I can't do a new licensing deal if I'm this, you know, sick guy going into the meetings. Do you have anything that can help me keep my hair? And they're like, well, give us a couple hours. I almost missed my flight, you know, back home here to Tampa. And, and two hours later, they came up with, uh, with a solution, which in 2008, nobody ever heard of. Was, he says, nobody, you haven't heard of this. It's called immunotherapy. We're working on this thing. You help the body kill the cancer and you'll get to keep your hair. We're not sure if it's going to work, but uh, if it doesn't work, we'll, 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 we'll go back to what was originally prescribed. And that was my first really big eye-opening moment that they're okay with you advocating for yourself and you have to own every step of the journey, every step. And uh, that includes like example, when, when you're diagnosed, I recommend people don't push it out on social media. Don't talk about it until you have kind of a game plan as to how you're going to handle it because you need to figure out and handle your own emotions and your own mental state without having to have too many people, you know, reaching out to you. Yeah. Your family needs to know, but, in many cases, you're diagnosed with cancer. You don't know what type, or maybe it's wrong. You know, you need to get a second opinion, which is also a big lesson in, in the book, which I always do, and uh, get your head around it before you post about it. But uh, and you also have to be realistic about uh, what the journey is going to be, which means you need to study what the impacts of the chemotherapy or immunotherapy or radiation are going to be, what the side effects could be, and be ready for them, mm -hmm. so that the unexpected things don't happen. And I've been blindsided, you know, literally dozens of times. If I'd done my homework, you know, I wouldn't have been so surprised. I mean, the first time I had chemotherapy, immunotherapy for, for lymphoma, I had a massive, you know, reaction and went into anaphylaxis. And I had no idea. I took my work computer to, uh, to work, you know, on Ironman while I was in the hospital. I'm like, whoa, no, nobody told me that, you know, mm -hmm. I, should, I should have known that. I should have studied that. So uh, basically the big lesson is own it. It's your journey and your life depends on you owning it. 
a lot of people are like I know I am. I'm, I'm sometimes too polite to a fault. You know what I mean? Like sometimes, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I just rather be polite than be difficult. Um, and so, and not saying that you have to be difficult in these situations, but you know, you are dealing with people who are highly skilled, um, who have a lot of knowledge, and, and you probably don't know anything about this area, or when you first hear about it. Um, how do you, you know, because I imagine it's a problem for a lot of people is that they don't want to kind of be a burden and, and that kind of thing. So when you talk about, you know, you owning it, what, is, what do you have to know with, how, where, where do you have to be within yourself to be the person who can actually say, hey, actually are there better alternatives or, you know, I am going to get up, you know, because a lot of people, I imagine there are a lot of people who probably have better options in front of them, but they are just have that polite or don't want to be a burden type of thing. Yeah, I, 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 here's how I look at it. It's like, I have to be persistent. I'm always nice. Mm. but I'm persistent because my life could depend on it. Mm. So when the stakes are that high, right? Life and death, which is literally true. If, if you know, in some cases, you don't advocate for yourself and own your journey, then it, that, that's, the, that's the spark that I use to light the fire to make sure I do everything I can do with these doctors in a persistent, polite, consistent way uh, on my journey. That includes when I go into these appointments having done my homework, right? I can tell you where my drugs were made. I can tell you, I can, I can pretty much guess what the, what the, what the chemo or immunotherapy treatment is going to be before it's even prescribed because I've done my homework and I've talked with others and I've talked with other groups and, and I've got my hands around it because they appreciate that. They appreciate mm-hmm. a knowledgeable uh, doctor. Yeah. You're, you're super nice, but if, if you had cancer, you would be still super nice. Mm-hmm. You would just be persistent. You wouldn't be pushy because pushy doesn't get you anywhere, no. but, uh, but persistence, does. And also trying to build a relationship with your care team makes a huge difference. And I'm fortunate that I've done that. Thank you notes for, for when you come, yeah. you know, asking them how they're doing, yeah. uh, support them in any way that you can. And it, it does. It, it's a, it's a difference. It can be the difference between life and death. So you just do it. When you say you do your research, you know, nowadays, Dr. Google, you know, like a lot of people get the cold and they think of cancer, you know, because, because they, you know, they catastrophize something that's maybe not really there. Um, so, in some ways, it's almost confusing trying to do research. So when you are doing your research, like how do you actually make sure you're getting good sources, you're getting the right kind of information? Because it's a, it's a, you can get lost very quickly, can't you? Yeah, you know, it's, it's actually in the book. It says don't over, over, uh, over-review things on, yeah. you know, don't over-Google things. But you can go to the sources like, for me, Leukemia Lymphoma Society and the U.S. has has great resources, right? So I, I'm a blood cancer patient, so I lean on them, and they give me the they they have the resources that are already you know are already really good, and so you don't have to worry about am I looking at the right site on Google? So I, I lean on that. I, I lean on my care providers and ask them, you know, get their information. Okay. And so doing homework doesn't mean just googling it because that could kind of freak you out. Yeah. But leaning on leaning on the experts, if you have prostate cancer, there's prostate organizations, you know, lung cancer, those organizations, they've already vetted all the materials and all the research that they have. So lean on those. Regards to the people in your life, um, is there a part is it part of your jobs train them how to deal with you at that time? If you know what I mean? Because it, there's Oh, there's obviously you're going to go like I can't even imagine finding out cancer but if I found out I had cancer it's this kind of emotional wall that I've been hit with with you know big questions you know is this the end of me and all that kind of stuff but then you've got the people in your life and there's going to be different people who respond in different ways um and I don't know like what has what's the management of those relationships as you're working through this journey 
Oh boy, that's that's the best question I've had, and it it depends, right? So my family, they never, my kids don't know anything different, you know, since they can remember yeah, okay. their dad's been fighting this cancer journey, twin girls and and a son, uh, and he's has done a couple Ironman seventy point three events, but uh, it's it is it's really challenging. So for them, when they were younger. I didn't let them see me sweat, right? It was still positive. Life is normal, the best I could be. As they got older, and particularly this last uh, version that I'm kind of still going through because I'm still immunocompromised from the chemotherapy, even though it's been over a year since I had it, uh, they kind of woke up as they got older. And they're like, oh, geez, you know, this is, this is serious. And so we just, we just kind of, it, it kind of inherently brings us closer together all these years. But I can't say when they were little, we talked about it much. Yeah. Uh, but as they got older, a little bit more. Um, I learned so much in the chapter that they wrote in the book uh, oh. about about their journey. So interesting. Uh, with friends, um, you know, it's, there's only a small group of friends that really are dialed in on, you know, what I've been going through because it's not something I pr- really prefer to talk about, which is ironic considering how <laughs> yeah, I'm no, <laughs> Yeah, and I'm on a podcast talking about it. But the, the friend thing is, it's it's challenging, but probably the best lesson I've learned from the friends thing is don't have too broad a circle of people who know the inner dealings of what you're going through. Uh, as a patient, you know, try to be as positive as you can be with them so that they don't get freaked out. But probably the best thing I've learned is if they ask, to help you let them because it makes them feel better and makes them a part of your journey. And it, it is really super cool, but actually even bigger than that, the thing I learned, which I never did before. If like, I would tell, I tell my friends, I love them, mm. you know, even my yeah. guy friends, the, the close ones. And I had never yeah. done that before, but I'm like, geez, what if I don't get to do that? Right. What if I don't yeah. get to say it? And I, and I do love them. So I tell them, they tell me back and, it's honestly, it's been magic. Could I ask the idea, you know, like it's, we all, you, when you think of the people in your life, you, you kind of stick an identity on them. And it's kind of these, these leading questions, you know, like one question I got when I was doing Ironman was, how's your training? You know, like people mm-hmm. knew I was an athlete. And the first question I tend to get was, how's your training? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, because we kind of have people in these three or four boxes that we mainly see them in. And so our leading questions are based around that. When you're going through cancer or someone knows you have cancer, do you often get how's the treatment going or, you know, and, and how do you make sure that's not the only way people see you? Oh, it's such a, it's, it's so true. And so I would, and if they're a casual friend, if it happens to be somebody at work and largely I kept it a secret, uh, but if, if they knew, I just say, yeah, I'm doing fine. Okay. Uh, or, or, yeah, or yeah. Uh, Cause I, yeah. Try to close it off. If it's a close friend, I'll say, yeah, I, I'm doing pretty well. And they'll say, Bill, how are you really doing? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, you know, it's 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 kind of rough right now. Anything I can do for you, usually the next question, yeah, seriously, dude, could you could you go pick up, you know, a chicken sandwich for me or whatever? Yeah. That's what I'm really craving. And yeah, sure. You know, I had one guy say, what can I do for you? And I'm like, I don't know. He says, can I take you fishing? I'm like, yes. Yeah. And I'm like, just take me fishing. Two days later, I'm out on the water fishing and that's what I needed. So yeah, you're right. You try to close it off because you don't want your identity to be, the cancer yeah. guy. Yeah. I still have a job. Uh, you know, honestly, until I spoke at Ironman Texas in front of the in front of the uh, welcome banquet when I was racing Ironman Texas 2011, three years after uh, my 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 diagnosis was stage three lymphoma. Kevin McKinnon, who also a great athlete, but who who wrote for Ironman at the time, yeah. he didn't even know. 
And so he heard me speak at the banquet and he wrote an article that night and said, wow, Bill Potts is, you know, a cancer survivor then number two, only two. But, uh, you know, it's it's it was hard to even talk about it. And I wouldn't even do the banquet until one of my staff says, Bill, you have to get up there and tell your story. It's really cool. I'm like, OK. <laughs> and on that front, you know, like. Um, when you go through treatment, you know, because for me, like, I'm, I'm a hardcore exerciser. I love exercise. You know, like, it's, I, I have one day off a week, but, you know, I'm not going to exercise every day, every day of my life, really. But then I, in moments when you're going through hardcore treatment, obviously there's aspects of yourself you can't be. And because you're in treatment, is that something you just accept and you're cool with? Or is it actually quite tough to be missing the parts of yourself like movement or, you know, there's aspects that actually you still are a part of your identity that are important to you? Yeah, it's actually really hard. I really miss it. I mean, running is my therapy. That yeah. is how I handle all the stress. And when you can't run, yeah. uh, it's 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 a real challenge. And and I have tried to walk during this last treatment, which was just really, really difficult. But even then, you know, I could have some days I just couldn't even, you know, do a walk around the block. And it, it yeah, because your body starts to change. You know, you get this thing called chemo belly from the chemo. You're gaining mm. weight. You know, I'm taking naps all the time. It's brutal. Yeah. It was brutal not to be able, cause I'm known as, I mean, I'm an athletic guy. Yeah. I'm not good at any, I'm not good at any of it, <laughs> but, uh, but I love it. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard on the identity. And I think the book was, was really good therapy in the sense when I couldn't exercise at all, I was, I was writing the book when I could, I mean, there's days and weeks I couldn't write it cause I didn't feel good enough, but when I felt good, I was writing and it was, uh, it was kind of, pretty good. I mean, in a way I was writing it, I was writing the chapter on, on the dying piece. And, uh, I, all of a sudden I had my heart rate goes through the roof. I get dizzy. I call my wife. I'm like, I'm like, something's wrong with me. I lay down. She, she checks my blood pressure and she goes, what were you doing? I said, I was working on the book. She goes, were you working on the dying part? I'm like, Oh yeah. It was just that kind of stress that set things off. Yeah. And I think one thing that's coming across is that actually having a purpose even when you go you know because i think what you're talking about is that, that when you talk to that priest that they gave you a purpose through this moment because you were kind of in this moment where it's like actually i've had enough and mm. you know which is a horrible moment to confront but it's like this is too hard and then to, to even have a purpose in a tough moment is still really important yeah it's so true and i was so lucky that i had a publisher that was willing to work with me on this journey and i had an editor that was basically on call for me wow. when i felt like uh talking to her and it uh the publisher are the only ones in my life that have ever really been through the behind the ropes look at what i'm going through because we would have calls uh often and and they knew what i was going through on the journey mm -hmm. as i was going through the chemotherapy and immunotherapy even more so detailed than my family knows because again back to yeah how do you handle your family yeah. you don't tell them everything yeah, you got to protect them a little bit don't you mm -hmm. yeah what's it like to face your mortality you know like i i i you know, i remember my dad said to me my dad's my parents are quite young considering my age but my dad's only 65 now and i remember he just said to me once and, and, and touch wood that we had no sickness with my parents but um he just said you, you kind of get to an age and you realize there's an end you know and, and fingers crossed it's another 30 years away from him but you know like when you hit with something like cancer and there's potential for death and, and a lot of people do die so you know it's, it's a I don't, I don't know what the percentage is in comparison to people who get it to who die but you do have to confront that and it's i don't know what's that like 
Yeah. You know, first of all, I have a goal for how long I want to live, which okay. is 90, 93. So at Ironman Texas, I raced with 93 because, you know, okay. I worked for Ironman. I could pick my number. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I had an Ironman 70.3. I was supposed to, I was supposed to beat my son in Ironman 70.3 Florida and my cancer came back. And so he raced with my number 93. So I do have a goal. Yeah. Uh, uh, I know that goal is going to be difficult to achieve with incurable, incurable cancer because the cancer smartens up, but you know, I, I, I didn't realize until 2008, I had my first, when I had the a reaction, the anaphylaxis, when, you know, it was really life-threatening, you know, reaction, uh, for the first chemo. That's the first time I'd even thought about the dying part. And, and, and then I kind of tucked it away and, you know, my medical care team's like, you're going to beat this. You're going to be fine. We got you. We're going to get you to age 93. My medical care team knows my goal. Nice. And they're like, we'll get you there. So I was super confident. It really wasn't until uh, uh, September 17th, 2020, that it, it really dawned on me that, you know, this, this, this could be, this could be it. My faith is uh, super strong. Uh, my attitude is generally super good. But it's a heavy thought, you know, knowing that, uh, you know, this thing could, 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 could catch you, but you have to lean on your, I, I, I lean on my faith for that, uh, lean on my family uh, on for that. And, and, and it really gives you an additional sense of gratitude for each day. Yeah. And I don't sweat the small stuff nearly as much. Okay. And I spend time doing what I think is going to be adding value. but. Um, I'm not afraid of dying. And I was, you know, okay. for, for a long time, but I don't want to die, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm not afraid of it. And, and somebody asked me yesterday, so what would be, if you're, what would be your last words and who would you want to be with you? And I'm like, it would be my family, of course, but it'd be thanks because it's been a great run. Yeah. And whenever that time comes, hopefully it's at age 93, uh, you know, I, it's, I've lived a, a full life. And so one way I deal with the dying piece is by trying to live. Yeah. Live. I just live. Now, now I'll be honest, I'm not someone who has faith, you know, I'm not a religious person. And so, and, and in some ways I think like my wife, she said in some ways, you know, losing her dad, she said in some ways it would be nice to have religion because, you know, there is that kind of the, the faith of the next life. Um, do you have advice for people who don't, you know, because it does, it is really important for you. And I think it's a really beautiful thing to have at this moment. And, um, and again, I, who knows, but at the same time, do you have advice for people who don't have faith in this situation? Yeah. Yeah. The advice would be, uh, you just have to focus on the now yeah. and focus on the living and not focus on the dying and, 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 and live as much as you can while you can. And I've had yeah. friends that have passed away from cancer that didn't have the faith and, 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 and one in particular did it beautifully. You know, yeah. he, he took a, uh, he took a vacation, you know, stopped treatment, took a vacation with his family because that was important to him because he yeah. knew it was going to be difficult to win anyway. Uh, he did, he spent, you know, so much time, uh, with his family and with his friends yeah. that you just do that and just yeah. get the most out of it. You can. Yeah. What do we, you know, obviously you've been very fortunate that you are living longer, but there is that moment where some people are going to find out, you know, that there is no cure. The, the end isn't close to you. Do you talk about that in the book and, uh, and how to deal with that? Yeah. So the advice for those that know that they're not going to make it and, uh, yeah, is, 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 it is, 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 is to fight as hard as you can to inspire others that are going oh, through nice. the journey. Love it. Yeah. yeah and that's kind it. of the secret sauce that gives them a purpose. Instead yeah. of giving up, you know, just fight like heck and, and, and show them, show others, you know, uh, inspire them through your fight. For people who 
you know, because obviously you've written this for two people. It's that person who's going through the journey and those who are supporting people through the journey. What's some advice for, you know, for the, the people who are supporting, you know, or, or what, what do you want them to know as they read this book? As they kind of, you know, let's say my partner finds out they've got cancer today. What do I, what do I want to start to learn from this book? Yeah. So I, I learned some great things from my wife and kids who wrote that answer to that question in yeah. the book. And, and, and it's like, you have to, as a caregiver or a family, you've also got to take care of yourself uh, and nice. uh, you really have to. And uh, so you don't, for example, my twin daughter, uh, one of my twins was about to move to Boston right when I was about to start my last uh, treatment. She goes, dad, you know, should I go? Or do you want me to stay here? I'm like, no, go live your life. So you still yeah. have to live your life. Um, you have to, you still got to have your friends, you know, your support, you still need to do your hobbies. My wife plays tennis. You have four days a week through the yeah. whole thing. And when, yeah. when I wasn't in the hospital yeah. and she wasn't there with me, so you have to live it. And, uh, and you have to have your own support. You know, my wife's biggest concern was what happens to you if something happens to me? Mm. I'm like, makes sense. Right. If she gets sick yeah. or tears a knee on the tennis court and got to have surgery. And yeah. so she was a little bit cautious on all those things, but um, yeah, anyway, they, the best advice I could give would just be live your own life. Don't, don't stress over math that you're reading about or seeing on the internet about that particular type of cancer. You don't have to dive into too much detail and basically just be present when they need you. And I think one thing that seems really that you've done really well, Bill, is that you you understand the giving that's coming to you, and you give back. You know, as the, as the patient, as the person with the with the, you know, you talk a lot about you know making your support network as in your medical professionals feel like they're a part of your team, making sure that you appreciate, you know, giving back to your family, and because in some ways, and this it's I wouldn't call it a selfish time, but it comes a bit about you, doesn't it? You know, and so you've got to make sure that it doesn't just your, you know, the people around you's life will be consumed by you. And if you get what I mean. Yeah, no, it is. It is actually, it is a great time to be in a way to be selfish, right? Cause you're fighting yeah. for your life. And yeah. so you have to focus on, on getting better at, at, at all costs, but yeah, yeah. you're right. You, you have, you have to moderate that with, with empathy for those that are watching you go through it. And I think it's gotta be hard for my family to watch me suffer. And when there's nothing they can do except just be there, but yeah. being there, is what I needed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really close. When, it's funny when you think about what's really important. And it's just that knowing, that knowing, eh? you know, that knowing that, that people who care for me are there for me. Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's the best thing they could do. They just would sit there, not say a word. And well, that's all I needed. Yeah. What's been the greatest reward of writing this book? Uh, so far, it's been the positive feedback that I've received, you know, from people that have read it. Yeah. And uh, I told the pastor at uh, at the Mayo Clinic uh, where I was uh, went through the September 17th, 2020 thing. I, I, I told her if it just made I was going to do it. And if it made an impact on one person, then it would be worth it. Yeah. Somebody asked me the question. A friend of mine said, Bill, has the cancer journey been worth it? And I'm like, what kind of question is that? I mean, it's it's yeah. been pretty rough. <laughs> but I'm like, I, 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 I thought about it. and I'm like, well, so far, no. Yeah. Uh, but when the book comes out uh, and it's written and it gets in the hands of cancer patients and their families and improves their journey and, and there's tips in there that I'm not overselling, it can, can save lives, then it has been worth it. So the, the, the answer to all this journey is, is being able to use my journey to help others 
And that's just, it's just, it's going to be so rewarding. I can't wait for it to come out and get bigger distribution. Yeah. And also I imagine you've learned a lot about yourself as much as you'd rather have a life without this experience. I'm sure there's, you know, even I, I love how you mentioned just letting people in your world know that they, you love them. You know, like there's, there's so many amazing lessons I'm sure you've learned through this massive adversity you've been through. Yeah, I have a chapter called Lanyap, which is a French Cajun word, which is kind of the summary of some of the lessons about life that I learned, you know, going through the cancer journey. Uh, look, I much would have rather not gone through it, but uh, it's changed my life in so many positive ways. Um, you know, you can't, you, you, you you can't change what's happened. So I don't look backward. I look forward yeah. and I'm just grateful uh, for, honestly, I'm just grateful for every day. And like, I'm grateful to have the time to talk with you today. It's, yeah. it's just awesome. Hey, Bill, the book, the book is called up for the fight. Now it, I, I see it's not actually on the market yet. You can pre-order it from the website. The website is billcpots.com. We'll have that in the show notes. Uh, so basically pre-order it now and it comes out in September, is it? Yeah, it does. And, and September 13th, it'll be available worldwide. Uh, I think for you guys, the Kiwis, you buy it from Amazon, Australia. Yeah. Yep. You, yep. You, uh, uh, it's going to be uh, in the US, you know, Barnes and Noble, Target, things like that. But uh, yeah, I just hope uh, we can get in the hands of many people as we can. Oh, well, and I like think- you, like you writing a book just to try to make a difference. Yeah, totally. And, and I think, you know, it's unfortunately, cancer is probably, it really is the most horrible thing of our time really when we think of how it affects the world and so and fingers crossed in the future we do know how to get over it but um working through this is a really important thing so thank you for your time today and thank you so much for the interview and again the website is billcpots.com the book is up for the fight check it out it's, i think it's a pretty important book for many people out there john hasn't listened to the interview but really interesting stuff here eh? and um it's interesting cancer is the one a eh? you know like obviously right now in this moment in time we've got this covid mm. thing going around the world but cancer is it affects all of us, really. You know, mm. we lost Joe's dad this year. You know, everyone knows a cancer story, mm. and fingers crossed it's not you yourself. So um, the book isn't out yet, but you can get a link to it. He's basically pre-selling it now. So I think it comes out in September, so you can order it now. And if you go to billcpots.com, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes, you can get the book. It's the kind of book that's A, valuable for someone who's going through it, but also B, for those people around them as well. So again, it's up for the fight, billcpots.com. John, one, two, three, four, high five. five. Okay, what do we got here? Everyone's got bloody COVID at the moment. Everyone. It is ridiculous. I've, I was saying I've Bevan before we started, I think I've got about 40% of the athletes that I coach have got COVID in the last sort of seven to 10 That's days. That's crazy, It yeah. is mental. It's you, I haven't had it yet. Yeah, no, I've had it. So I was, a lot of people ask me um, for, for my advice on, on it. Uh, and so this is non-medical based advice, um, just based on the experiences I've had with, with athletes. So it's pretty generic, um, but I've been asked for it for a number of times. So here we go. Here we go. <laughs> number one, um, COVID is, is quite different to the normal flu. So you need to be um, a bit more cautious. Some people think, oh, I'm just going to train through it. But really, you've just got to be a bit cautious and see how it plays out. Do you want number- me to do two? Do you want me to roll, roll with you. Any symptoms get tested ASAP. The sooner you shut things off, the better. Yeah, so any once you get some symptoms, there's a reasonable chance. And let's be honest, we're, often many of us live in denial of flu. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I haven't been sick in years. I've probably had some sniffles. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and really you've probably with this one show a bit more respect. And the sooner you get onto it, the sooner you're gonna come out at the other end. Yep. Um if you've got COVID, here's my general advice. Don't do any training whatsoever for about five days. Now, this is massively variable. 
But if, even if you've got just a very mild version, no training for about five days. Um, once you're symptom-free, and this could take a while, but for, for most of the athletes that I'm working with, it's generally been about that five days. Okay. Uh, once, you, once you're symptom-free, then you can get back into about five days of light training. Uh, so by light training, I'm talking 30 to 60 minutes of easy spinning or easy jogging. Um, some other things you could try doing when you're sort of um, in that zone is doing a bit more swim cords, do a little bit of core, do a little bit of flexibility. You just want to avoid um, anything that's going to really take your breathing rate up quite a bit. Um, so that yeah, next stage is four to five days of really easy training. Um, and then after that, another five days, we sort of ramp things up a little bit. And then you can maybe do some half Ironman, maybe or more Ironman and a bit of half Ironman intervals, but nothing that's going to leave you puffing and panting too much. Okay, number four, be patient. You just have to suck it up and accept that you're going to lose some fitness and race expectations may likely need to be changed a little bit. Uh, you've got an example here? Um, leading to your race yeah so we, we actually did this topic a few weeks ago but it was when we had a recording issue yep. so yeah my example pretty much as I've said above five days nothing five days easy five days sort of half Ironman Ironman intervals and then for me I was, I was okay um, for a lot of the athletes I coach that's been a similar um, example however on the other hand quite a few have taken a lot longer than that and so this is kind of mild version COVID. Um, When you've got COVID um, which a lot of people have at the moment the best thing you can do is really awesome nutrition so just crank the vegetables um, and fruit and just be awesome with your nutrition and stay well hydrated and just rest. Number six other tips spend time on non-training things like writing your race plan doing some mind work we've got a link here to that course there who was that with Lucy uh, it was Lucy Gossage and Helen yeah. somebody. Uh, Thinkbeliefperform.co.uk dash Ironman. I mind. Um, and also work on some flexibility. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'm going to say is people seem to stop wearing masks, which I find really bizarre. So I, I went to, to admit, a, I'm probably in that world, John. Uh, I yeah. just don't get it. I'm just lazy. Yeah. Well, you it's know. everywhere at the moment. And like six months down the track, it might be a bit different. But hell, I'm going to mask up wherever I go, especially yep. if I'm traveling. And I, we went to a... A um, Felicity had a hip hop performance on Friday night. It was in a big hall, and you got to wear a mask to go in there. But once you get in, everyone takes your masks off. And I'm like, "You're sure you're allowed to do that?" But you're kind of defeating the purpose of what you're trying to achieve here. So my advice is to mask up if you haven't got it, and if you've got a race coming up, you've got to be avoiding this like the bloody plague. Uh, so yeah, wear a mask. Um, just in terms of your expectations, if you've got really bad COVID and you've got this within 12 weeks. My advice is to seriously consider if you want to go and do your race. A lot of people just go, they've entered the race and they've got their accommodation. Some of it's non-refundable, but some of it is. And you're thinking, I've still got to go and do this, I've still got to go and do this. If your expectation is just to go and complete it, then that's fine. But if you're going for a, a lifetime best performance or an amazing performance and you're yeah. inside that 12 weeks, COVID could effectively wipe you out for a good month. And for some people, it's significantly longer than that. And so you just got to look in the mirror and just go, how important is this to, can I re- recoup any of these costs that I've got or can I push this to a really late season race or something like that? Um, but if you've got a bad version of COVID, you're going to take a real kick um, to your training for four, four weeks or so. Well, I had a guy who I'm training to a marathon and he's a three-hour guy and it took him seven weeks. Yeah, totally. To, to get That's, back to running. Mm. Not even just like, you know, not just a little bit of light training. He was doing mm. no running at all. Mm. Um, he was KO'd and he was like, when's this going to end? Yeah, 
and even after that, even after that seven or eight weeks, then he would still have to cautiously build things up. Um, so yeah, just have a think about that. If you've got a race coming up, how badly do you want it? Can you defer or do do a later season race? Ironman seems to be reasonably good with um, deferring events these days. Okay, let's go into winger of the week. Okay, you haven't, you haven't done a preloading. Oh, no, I God, I thought I'd got all my P's. I thought I was organised today. Okay, let's go. Uh, oh, let's let me do go to old school. I'm going to say sixty six clickety click. Sixty six clickety click. Let's see if this person has done a swim bike and run to start with, and then they've got to have a uh, public profile so we can actually we see. Pretty something. hard for them. Stephanie. Oh, I can't even read her whole surname because she's no just, private. St- she's okay. private. No, yeah. she's out. Sixty seven. 67, Jeff Fedgefar from Team, I think he's with Team Everyman Jack. Uh, he swam 2 hours and 52, rode an 8.39 and ran for 2 hours and 32 minutes. Um, do you know who's 67 this week? What? Do you, what? Well, um, that's last week's. This week you're 67. Oh, am I? Yeah. Oh, anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> pretty sorry, pretty sorry, early. Jeff. uh, Jeff's from... Ponte Verde Beach in Florida, and oh, he does a private account. But anyway, we've done it now. And Jeff Fitchfar from Team Everyman Jack, you are our Wanger, Wanger of, of the week. week. Questions. I'm changing. I'm changing it, Bevan. Why? Questions and comments. Because we 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 don't, yeah, we, we don't. I actually should just say comments. We don't get that many questions these days. Well, we can still just call questions and answers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, John, still loving listening to the show. Caught up with a couple of Legends episodes. This is from James Thomas. I remember. You may remember I don't do heat very well, and here's a life for at least race saving tip, or a life saving tip for, for uh, I've used a few times. Wear arm sleeves on the bike. They keep you warm if it's cool, and will cool if it's warm, if you pick the right type. Pour cold water on them, and it really helps. I keep them on for the run and the and the pack and the inner side wrists with ice. For the, the aid session, I say packs your inner sides of ice at the aid session. If you're struggling in the heat, this is a fantastic way to cool yourself. No brain freeze with the ice in the cap. That's a good so one. There you go. A little tip from James Thomas wearing arm warm, not arm warmers, arm coolers. So you're not going to go and chuck on a pair of your standard arm warmers and do the trick. You want to get the, the white version, um, and they're just more of a like like Are you still a thing? Arm warmers, hell yeah. Do people still use them a lot? Oh, yeah. It's oh, okay. bloody cold out there. Yeah, no, no. Just, I, I, I'm so out of touch with this morning. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, so don't go slapping a pair of arm warmers on for a race. You want to get the James's advice, get some of the arm coolers, keep them cool all the way through. I've never tried it, but I did used to, for a while I was wearing a full length sort of really white. tight yeah. white um, top. And the key with that was keep it cold. So one of the other advantages that James hasn't mentioned there is yeah, it keeps you cooler um, if you keep them cold and you can shove ice in them, which is great. Um, but it also gives you a little bit of added sun protection as well, um, which for some athletes is really, really important. Why did you move away from using the top? Uh, just because I got a sleeve tri-suit. That was the main reason. Okay. And it just cut down a little bit on the admin and yep. it was a little bit tricky to get on. Because um, they're tight, aren't they? Yeah, so it was, uh, it was, it was good. You swam with it on too, didn't you? Uh, I did swim with it in... Wetsuit swims, yeah, but it was a bit of a pain in the ass to get on and uh, non wetsuit swims. It's when you need friends, eh? Can you pull it up? You've got to, yes. you know, you're trying to get over your shoulders and your head. Yeah. Okay, the quiz question was How many Ironman races did Michaeli Jones race? I'm gonna say she won Kona, yep, she yeah. got a second in Kona as well. So I'm gonna say she, she must have done elsewhere as well. I'm mm. gonna say seven. I'm gonna say two Konas. I'm she must have s- more than two Konas, but. I think she probably only did three at most. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say she only did six. 
And I'm tempted to say five, but I'm going to go for six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, oh I was right. Was I? No, you said, you said I said six. You said five. Oh, did you? I said I want to say five, but you I'm did. going to say no, you six. Did. Yep. And I said seven. Pretty so, impressive. So uh, she DNF'd in Hawaii. She did it. Arizona got second. Oh, we're not counting a DNF though, are we? Well, oh, no, we're not counting it. DNFs. No, I suppose we could do. Either way. You've, really you've turned up at the start line. Yeah. You know. Um, so she DNF twice. No, she didn't even start there by the look of it. Well, so, oh, okay. Maybe it didn't okay, start. Okay. Okay. Well, in that case, she only did one, two, four. three, four. I was. Should have stuck with my five. I would have been closer. So she got second the year I did Kona in uh, Hawaii in 2005. Very Who impressive. Who that year? Uh, Natasha Badman. Oh, that was when Badman was just dominant, wasn't it? And she had a bike penalty because she... She came off the bike behind me. It's amazing because Batman was known as such a fast runner and she ran a 306. Yeah. Now, that was a, your year. That was, was a tough year. year. It was just no, it was a year before. Tough year. 24 was a tough year. 24, that was the year I did it. But no, Natasha Batman came off the bike with me uh, or behind me and then she got a penalty. Kate Major, there's an And then the she, uh, she only ran a 306. Michaela Jones did a bit of a. Bit of an explosion. She only ran a three eighteen, but came back the next year to her credit. Uh, she won Ironman Arizona and then won Hawaii in that year, uh, and then did Arizona again in two oh eight, where she finished second. Um, so yeah, a few DNFs at um, or did not start or did not finishes at Hawaii in two oh nine and two oh seven. I was pretty sure it wasn't many, but she was uh, a sensational athlete, uh, short course, and then came over and did Ironman for what four. Four, well, four you'd years. probably say three years. She did do, you know, she did turned up to Hawaii. Because mm. so, remember, remember back in those days, if you won it, you got five years free entry. Mm. So maybe she didn't do other races other than that one Arizona. Because mm. she didn't race Kona in 2008. Mm. Yeah, she's an interesting one, isn't she? Because when you think of all-time greats. Oh, she's right up there. Would she be a top ten? No, easy. Okay. But yeah. you don't think, when you think of the all-time greats and females, who, who are you saying? You're saying... Well, you'll just say all the long, the long course athletes. That's just but in the early phase, they did to. both. So you got Paula mm. and Erin. Mm. They'd be the early ones. Yep. Anyone before them that you put in there? Uh, no, not as the, the all-time top top athletes. It'd be those two. So you're going to say Chrissy and Daniela? Oh, you got ones before that in terms of your short course yeah, yeah, athletes yeah, that um, haven't transitioned. Batman? Yep. What about short course in those times? Have Karen Smyers would be, be up there as well. She was uh, she won short course worlds and Ironman, and then you got you then you have a bunch of short course athletes that didn't do long course, the likes of um, Emma Snowsill, yep. um, and there's going to be a few others that are uh, Emma Carney probably, um, and there'll be a couple of others as well. And when the last moment in short course, so you have you've had Flora Duffy, uh, she'll go down as an all time great, and you'd say Jorgensen, Jorgensen and. Who was before before her? Um, those be the main ones of of late. Yeah, so McKelly's of that pedigree. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no. So, but I, you know, to be honest, and, and I've been around the sport for a while. Mm. If you said to me who are the top ten, mm. I would have probably said most of those names. I wouldn't have said Smyers. Mm. She'd be borderline. I mean, she won Hawaii. She was the only athlete that ever won Hawaii and the short course worlds in one year. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Oh, felt now. Yeah, oh, he's on the worlds. Has he won the Olympics? Which no, nowadays he won worlds. Did he won worlds in the same year. Yeah, he was. He won all three in like twelve months. I'm sure, he was world champion last year. I Jesus, oh, that, I, I can't remember. What an amazing moment, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so Smyers, I probably wouldn't have put there, but but you know, I get the argument. But all the others all make sense. I don't know what about, about in the nineties? The top female. The nineties. Short course. Short course. 
Because uh, Paul Lewis Im- dominating Im- long course. Yeah. Emma Carney came on in 94 and then crushed it for about four years. Okay. So she was the, by far the dominant player. Yep. For about four years. And then after that, it was Snowsall? Snowsall probably came in, yeah, after that around sort of Olympics time. Um, she won Olympic gold, didn't she? She won the uh, Beijing. I'm sure she won Beijing. She yeah. wasn't around for 2000. Did she ever do long course? No. Not even 7.3? Don't think so. Wow, that would have been interesting, eh? Mm, uh, I don't know if she would have been quick. She was, she was tiny. Like we've got Anne Hauk, she would have been Anne Hauk size, which Anne Hauk's doing yeah. fantastically well. Um, what was her strength? Oh, she was just a machine runner. Really? Oh, beautiful runner. Really? Mm. She's a really smiley person too. I love a smiley person. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no she was a really quality. Nice um, I probably apologies. I'm, I'm sure I will have missed other people off there, but that was just what was coming to but mind. But I think realistically, you know, when you think of the short course, because early on they did both, mm. and that's when you had like an Aaron, you know, was dominant in both, and then you have like a Paula who dominated a long course for a very long time. Mm. Uh, then you had, you know, Carney and all that in the nineties. Then moving into two thousand, in the two thousands was probably early on. Oh no, Badman, Badman was mm-hmm. long course. Mm-hmm. Short course would have been Snowsall. Mm-hmm. Then you had Chrissy era, mm-hmm. and who was short course there? That's probably Jorgensen. Yeah, around about then, maybe just, just a, maybe a fraction before then. But yeah, yeah. And then last moment in short course would be and the thing. The thing with uh, the short course athletes, their reign is probably not as long as yeah. long course athletes. Yeah. They're know, like a three or four year period, aren't you they? See athletes come and go reasonably quickly. Yeah, um, some some stick around, but um, but like Vincent Louis, fantastic example. You know, he had a couple of years there here where he was just. What about, what Crushing it. What about when we look at Yi and um, Wow? They're both very young. Yeah. Both very quick. Their best years are in front of them. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll be good for the next Olympics, but then there'll be somebody else coming on from You reckon, there. you reckon, so will you get five good years? Yeah, I would have thought about that. Okay, so they might get. And then you'll get the outliers like Brownlee. How long was he? He was probably. Well, he was dominant for like five. Yeah, five Because he, he did two Olympics, didn't he? He did well in the first Olympics, but he didn't dominate. He was kind of up and comer. Yeah. And then dominated the next two Olympics. Mm. And that was so. It's probably six years, mm. and he was dominant in between that. And then after the the Great Britain Olympics, he kind of went downhill. Or was it Beijing? Uh, it was after probably after. No, he London. won Rio as well. Rio was twenty sixteen, wasn't it? So it was London before. I can't remember London before. Yeah, that. it was London before. So that. it was London and Rio that mm. period there. He dominated, and then mm. since then he kind of got a bit broken. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So, so set this morning. What did we do? We did a four hundred meter mixed warm up. Then we did. 350 uh, or 25 kick, 25 drill, 25 free. Then we did a little bit of IM sort of stuff. We did 450s free, 350s breaststroke, 250s um, backstroke, 150 butterfly. We've done 50 butterfly for a while. It was a bit of a struggle. And then our main set today was 250s hard, 200 steady, 350s hard, 300 steady, 450s hard, 400 steady. And then repeated that through. And uh, I was a little tired at the end. It was 4K, 100 meter warm down. Job done. Done. Did my 46 100s last Friday. Oh, how did you set. It was, it was fine. Why 46? because yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Poor little Thomas injured himself in the swim. <laughs> how do you get, he got a leg injury from the swim because he was drafting, which was fine because it was for him to keep up. It was, yeah. it was a bloody, it was his longest swim ever. But because he was right on someone's feet, every time he turned, he was kind of on an angle. Uh. And he ended up sort of straining something in his hip. And, uh, yeah. Is he all right? He's okay. He's get, he's on the he's on the mend. Anyway, I've got to mention the rugby. That was the shittest wait, game. Wait, 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 we haven't got there yet. Um, <laughs> let's say thank you to our patrons. Uh, they are important, and we appreciate yeah. them. Angus, the wild bull 
Boyd. We've got Michael E. Sorry, Michael S. Egan. He's the meat muncher. And David Sweet Justice Sobel. If you want to become a patron, go to www.imtalk.me. Go to support the boys. Go through the process. Donate to the show. Go into price and win some gold, some gifts. Um, more importantly, just support the show. And if you really enjoy the show and it's a part of your Ironman world or your triathlon world, you're giving back to a really cool way to support us. If you uh, also want to support the sponsors, we've got Form Goggles. They empower swimmers at every level to reach their goals. Whether they want to get faster, stronger, swim further, or be more efficient, get lap-by-lap motivation with real-time metrics and workout instructions right in your goggles. Check out www.formswim.com. Uh, promo code IM15 for $15 off. We want to say thank you to Profile and Will Triathlon Store for being Patreon partners. Check out Profile, profile-design.com for hydration wheels, storage, aero bars, stems and handlebars and Will Triathlon Store. You can get your IM Talk gear there imtalk.me, click on the store button and if you do want to get any kit made for your particular team or club, uh, get in touch with the World Triathlon Store. Uh, if you do want to get some coaching, go to coachjohnnewson.com. My book is Passion About Exercise. It's been going, John, it's been going crazy. Great. Like, way better than we hoped, mm. you know, and which is really cool because it shows there's a need, which is really exciting. So I know it's not for you, but I guarantee there's someone in your life who's not exercising and this book is for them. So go to my website. You can get it from my website, bevanjamesiles.com if you forget my the, the book website. The book website is passionaboutexercise.com. Also know that when you buy the book, we're reinvesting all the money and getting more people moving. So it's a, it's a long-term plan that we're trying to put there. For those who have bought the book, I really appreciate your support. And then if you can also go on Amazon and do a, a review, a positive review, that'd be really good as well. Um, other content, you can email us at imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, now, the rugby. <laughs> here were we, smug, uh, sitting here last week. All the Southern Hemisphere teams, but all the Northern Hemisphere teams, they were pretty smug about that. And then yep. complete reversal. What a debacle I think that I think, now, um, the Irish beat us. Yeah, you know, totally. no stage in the game did we look good. There was a two-minute moment before halftime mm-hmm. where we did a good. And what sucked at halftime? I put two dollars on them to win by thirteen and over, and I paying seven fifty, so I can get fifteen bucks back. And then we scored a try in the last minute, so I didn't come <laughs> back. Come on, All Blacks, let's lose decently. So, um, so they just beat us down. Oh, but rugby's got a big problem. It's ruining itself. Yeah, the it was, rules are ruining the game. Yeah. You know, like because for those who don't watch rugby, basically they've become really concerned with concussion, which is fair enough. But the way they're ruling it, there's no common sense. Like, it's it's ruining the game, and I, it's taking forever. That game started at seven o'clock, finished at oh, quarter past yeah. nine. Yeah, you know, like it's such a long and boring game. Yeah. So, but well done to the Irish because you beat us fair yeah. and square. Yeah, this week we're going to smash the crap out of you. Oh. We're going to we're going to turn your green into purple. I don't share your optimism. We're going to smash you. <laughs> we're going to take your first children. <laughs> oh, yeah, you heard yeah. me. You can send me an email once and send me an email once we're beating you. And say, Bevan, you are the best. Yep, I'm putting out the team. We're going to. That's right. The All Blacks don't lose through in a row. Oh God! But I kind of hope they do because I want to get rid of Foster. Yeah, he's our coach. <laughs> we got a coach and. So normally the All Blacks winning rate in the history of the game is like 85%. The last two All Black coaches have averaged like 85%. Foster's averaging 70%. Yeah. And when you look at first-tier nations, it's like 50 40%. Yeah. He's, he's, and in New Zealand, we've got Scott Robinson, who's just a winner. Yeah. Get him in there now. <laughs> <laughs> so if the Irish do take our children this weekend, yeah. we, we won't necessarily be uh, that disappointed. But no, we will be. Uh, 
that was that was pretty tough to take that that game. It was a hard watch. It was uh, a horrible game. But however, the Tour de France is on. That's all good. What's so happening there? Yeah, I don't I don't really I don't really follow the tour. What's happening uh, in the tour? It's going to really heat up in the next few days. It's, it's looking pretty obvious what's going to happen. But the next few days, lots of mountains. It's uh, yeah. It's who are you picking? Is there an obvious winner? Yeah, Teddy Pogacar is clearly the best. But anything can happen. You have a bad day and you're screwed. Has he won it before? He's won it two times before. Do you um, think drugs nowadays? Um, well, I think it's just an even playing field. Uh, he's just freakish. I don't know if they're on drugs or not, but if one of them is, they probably all are. Um, but he's just, just, just so much better than everybody else. So it's going to be interesting to see if he uh, can hold it together. But so far, he looks invincible. Um, but still, good racing. I love it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Do you get? Do you do you watch? How much do you watch each day? Uh, I'll just have it playing. So I'll, if it's a oh, so if it's hilly away. stage, I'll have it. Um, the last two hours on. If it's uh, sort of an, an uninteresting stage, I'll just have a thirty minutes highlights. What's the thing that annoys you about Belinda? No, no, Belinda is annoyed about Nothing you. Annoys me about no, Belinda. no. Of course not. That'd be a stupid question. <laughs> but the better question is like, does she get annoyed when you're watching too much sport, or what's that thing? Um, she doesn't get too annoyed with the sport. She's actually been watching a bit lately. She oh. watches. We had the tour on um, after we were sort of having dinner last night, and the tour oh. was on. Well, so you've done something um, right. Yeah, it was because Thomas is into it as well. But tell you what. We've talked about this a lot before, Here but that, like, Formula One drive to survive, that brings in the audience like nothing else. But do you wa- so I many... watch the races. Sorry? Have you watched any races this year? Uh, the race, yeah, I have watched a bit, only because Thomas watches them. So I've got an interest in the race, but I won't sit down and watch do have, it. Do you have Sky Spark, Spark Sport? There's always a way, Bevan. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you don't pay for Spark Sport? <laughs> we do, on and off. Um, and I do in the cricket season. Yeah. And... Um, but I don't pay for Sky, so I can't give you a hard time. Yeah, but watch, but watching a Formula One race, it's not that. It'll be what it is like watching a two-hour triathlon. Um, there'll be bits and pieces and yeah. of, of action where you go, oh yeah, wicked. This They've all done on. a good job of making you care about what's happening later in the field as well, don't they? Because mm. I saw who was it? Schumacher's son had a good race. Yep, he he did well. Um, but like Belinda's watching it now, and I've met a lot of other females who would normally have. No interest whatsoever in motorsport, and everyone's onto it now. It's Drive to Survive. Yeah, we watched it. And we love the series. It's going to be great to see the cycling version of. It. I can't wait. To Are see they doing that. one? Yeah, yeah. And Tour de France this year. Every sport has everyone now, don't they? Yeah, it's going to you be know, great. like it's like sports is now behind the scenes. Well, they say there's the most money in the sports because it's the only thing people still watch live. Mm. You know what I mean? Like most people, are like what? How much? Everything we watch on TV is on demand now, mm. or, or we've recorded it. We mm. know, we're gonna, there's nothing we watch live mm. other than sport. Do you watch mm. anything live? No. no. Yeah. What are you watching? You got any good series at the moment? We're watching The Lincoln Lawyer, which is passable for you, but hardly great. No, we've just got a little bit on Apple TV at the moment. We just started watching a slow, what was it called? Slow, slow coaches. Uh, it was like MI5, the guys have been booted out of MI5. Bit of comedy? Uh it's a bit of comedy, but it, yeah, it's it was quite good. Okay, slow something, slow something. If you look that up, it's one of the main ones on there. Need a good series. Lincoln yeah. Lawyer is kind of like passable fear, easy, but not nothing that great. Mm. I I don't like a lawyer show when the guy always wins. Mm. You know, now I don't know he might lose the case in the end. You, you don't you don't know me was another one we watched. Oh. I'm not sure if that was on. That might have been on. Why did you go to well. Apple? <laughs> Got a three months free. <laughs> We're watching as much as we can. Have you watched Ted Lasso? Sorry, yeah, watch that. Yeah, that was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. There you go. There's our TV recommendations okay. for this week. <laughs> New segment to the show. 
won't be any triathlon. The problem talk. with airports is there's actually not many shows on there. No, like after not. three months, you you, yeah. you really don't need it. Um, did you get a device? Did you? Is that why you got your three months free? Yeah. Yep. There you go. Okay, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.